Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 15 of the Good People, Bad Intentions podcast. And today I have a special guest. We have Sandy Pembroke, somebody who I've known for quite a few years. Uh, We originally met at Titans MMA training together, and he's somebody that I've had conversations with um, about a lot of different things. He's somebody that um, started off in football, but then later joined kickboxing so he became a professional kickboxer professional boxer he's been a kickboxer slash boxer for 18 years with a combined total of 130 bouts including amateur and professional bouts and he also has a marketing company the sandy beach marketing company he's also somebody that has experience teaching he's taught at the university of south australia he's had experience Uh, living in various different parts of the world definitely a global citizen and somebody i look forward to talking to so without further ado guys sandy pembroke hey uh welcome to good people bad intentions sandy i really appreciate you coming on um and and we first met we were both at titans we trained together had some really good conversations um it's been a while since i saw you in person but um, I hope you're doing well. How, how have things been going? You know, life's pretty good, Matthew. It's, I was uh, pretty touched when you reached out with me to me mm-hmm. to do this. Uh, I appreciated some of the kind words you said about us meeting and training and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. I've, uh, I guess I think there was one or two episodes up when we first started talking mm-hmm. and they both were great. And then I've listened to a bunch more. You've got some great guests on. Well, thank you. Um, and I think that you're like an addition to another, all the guests I've had are, are really, I think this is going to be a really good conversation. Um, and, and again, going back to the time when we trained, I mean, yeah, like there was a lot of, a lot of life stuff that we've talked about. We talked about training, obviously. So it's, it's been awesome, you know, meeting you and, and having those conversations. And I guess right now I just want to continue our conversations and also share some tidbits and wisdom and knowledge that you've gained to anybody Great. that's listening. Great. Um, yeah. So first, the first thing I kind of want to get into is I've noticed like one of your fight names is the professor. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and then I looked in into it more and I realized that you were in like the final uh, steps to receiving a PhD um, but that you've actually taught, you've taught in Australia mm. and you, and you've had the, the privilege of being in a lot of different countries. Um, mm. what can you, can you kind of talk about a little bit about, um, kind of your academic, uh, you know, career and, and, and everything like that? Like, did you start out of the gate going to, to university after high school? Oh, you know what? Great questions, Matthew. <laughs> I don't know if you've done some digging or if you knew this already, but uh, yeah, so uh, <clears throat> I uh, I got to the point in a PhD where after you've defended your your proposal, I guess, so there's a bunch of research and lit review and that sort of stuff, <clears throat> you can technically be called a, a PhD ABD, all but dissertation, I think, if you're still trying to do that, but I'm, I'm not anymore. I was uh, consulting in sort of the management consulting, largely in the marketing world back then on the side, plus fighting, plus PhD studies, plus teaching full-time. It was a pretty busy schedule. <laughs> um, 
sorry, it was a very busy schedule, but a very rich life. Uh, the question about the academic progression, actually, I, uh, I struggled with high school. So I was, was very good with like the social science, English, anything uh, like that. Not the greatest with like the complex math, like calculus and that sort of stuff. Had some troubles in high school. I ended up leaving high school a bunch of times. And uh, yeah, should I even say this. Yeah, I went to eight different high schools. If you count like a night school and a correspondence thing and this kind of stuff. And uh, I uh, eventually went to St. of X, uh, St. Francis Xavier for my undergrad. That's my father's from that town. I grew up visiting their relatives my whole life. So yeah, so it was a wandering path education-wise for me. So I went from being a you know a high school dropout to quitting my PhD. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is where the professor name came in. I think uh, I was training for a while, and you know what? I I'm not even sure. I I can't, don't remember exactly who started calling me that. I remember hiring a manager at the end of my career, and he he dug that name up again and started using it. But it was the contrast of the world of a of an academic fellow, you know, teaching fella, I guess, uh, you know, teaching at a university, working on his PhD, and you kind of have, you know, versus the contrast of like an old school boxing gym, you know, you think blue collar and gritty and that sort of stuff, like almost like the opposite of education, which, you know, is not exactly what I found in my, my combat sport travel, but uh, Certainly. I'm wondering. I'm wondering if this speaks to you because this is something that I learned um, getting out of high school and everything like that. And I had a bit of a bumpy path too. Like I had an episode where I was talking about how I ran away to Montreal, and that was in my senior right. year of high school and everything like that. Um, have, have you kind of had the same uh, experience as me, as far as you know? We had this idea when we get into high school that we got to start our lives or, or do things like that, but. The truth of the matter is we make our own life. We make our own timelines. We don't have to follow the path of anybody else. We could set our own destiny. Did you have that kind you know, of uh, experience as well? You know, Matthew, I like that. That's, that's a really good way of looking at things. And I, you, you doing this podcast and that sort of stuff, you've realized that, yeah, you can reach the whole world with just by making choices on something you want to do. You're actually inspiring me. I, uh, I, I've helped a lot of people set up podcasts, but I've never, uh, I, I, I guess I had a radio show for a while. Really? School. Yeah, it was a nutrition show <laughs> on the radio in, uh, yeah, West. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess I've never done a podcast, like my own podcast, probably. Do you remember the frequency? Uh, oh, was it 97.5? I don't know. I have to ask. Mm -hmm. I got a buddy that's a, a DJ out there still in Kelowna, the Ara show. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Actually, he wrapped me into the ring one time. Sorry, you're, I'm connecting dots in my head that won't make yeah. it there. But yeah, uh, yeah, he he would know. He's still out there. So. I did uh, I did some Trump voices for uh, for a radio. I've, that's the, the closest I've ever been to radio. I did like uh, right right around the time where it was uh, funny to to make Trump impressions or whatever before it like kind of backfired a little bit. Uh, but yeah, on, going well for quite a while, Matthew. You probably yeah, had yeah. some fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had some fun. Uh, you know, it was uh, Denise Sibley. She had uh, this new radio show, The New Jewel, and I did like ten or so like uh, voices for her. And it actually, it was on air and it was cool. So I didn't know that you had a like kind of like a radio show about nutrition. That's that's awesome. Yeah, well, it probably goes back to your question. I've done quite a few things, like the the boxing, boxing and kickboxing. So I actually started out. Uh, 
I, get, I started competing in kickboxing. I, I messed around with boxing a little bit, uh, not, not as a competitor, but sort of, you know, sparring and fighting with friends, really, <laughs> and a twin brother uh, from a very early age. But uh, yeah, no, kickboxing was my start and then boxing. And uh, I'll let you drive the conversation, but I don't want to bore people too much with uh, academia stuff. So, <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. Um, I, I find it really fascinating because um, I think everything's all related. Um, you know, everything that we yeah. go through um, and certainly like um, my experience, like I thought I wanted to, to be a writer. And then I was talking with my friend. He's like, yeah, well, maybe you're not a writer right now, but when you're having conversations with people, maybe you can think of questions on the spot more because you kind of have like a creative mind. So I feel mm. like, you know, whatever background we have to whatever new venture we have, it can, uh, you know, pay dividends. Yeah. Um, so every time I, I've ever heard somebody talk about um, being a twin, uh, I've heard <laughs> like, good bad things about being a twin what's your experience with uh, your twin michael like growing up was it was it hard did you guys fight against each other were you were you buddy buddy were you wearing the same matching outfits were you <laughs> tell me yeah, all the deets good, i mean those are good questions i mean since this is a boxing podcast like there, there's no question that growing up with like literally an identical sparring partner sort of something to <laughs> wrestle around with and uh, that sort of stuff. Well, I'm going to tell this story. So <laughs> I, I remember being very young, like two, three years old, and uh, the houses, uh, like, we moved around a little bit for dad for work. Maybe it's why I like doing that later in life, although I feel that I've finally come back to Nova Scotia and I don't want to go anywhere <laughs> ever Welcome again. back. Thank, thank you. Maybe somewhere warm from time to time. But uh, <laughs> I think it's minus 20 with the wind chill out there today. Damn. But uh, yeah, the um, so I don't know the the genesis of like my dad had pretty good like old school structured disciplinarian sort of stuff, and I, the story goes I think that we had kind of been horsing around too much and getting bloody noses and stuff and banged up eyes and that kind of stuff and nobody wants to see that on a three year old or a two year old so we were apparently taught not to hit each other in the face anymore so we were in these unfinished basements and I remember clearly I was finishing all of our fights in, in the, uh, the MMA or the UFC full mount. So sitting in the other one's chest and grabbing them by the ears and bang, 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 bang their head into the cement until, uh, until someone cried uncle or whatever, or, you know, some compassion nugget kicked in. I don't know, but uh, fast forward to, uh on the professional side of sport i think it must have been for a kickboxing fight it was in australia and i got my first mri which is the big crappy scary machine really loud if you've ever been in one i hate them most people hate them terribly claustrophobic um and uh, anyway so i'm in there and you get for professional fights around the world the government sets the rules right so there's all kinds of different tests i've been tested for everything epilepsy every single skin or sexual disease or uh, yeah everything there's <laughs> millions of tests hiv hep b hep c are standard um anyway uh so i i've got very comfortable sitting down with medical people and wasting a lot of sorry spending a lot of time in waiting rooms and this sort of stuff so i'm out with the radiologist who reads it and then passes it on to the doctor but in that chain of orders you're not 
the doctor in Western medicine anyway is not, is the only person that can tell you, even though the radiologist does it every day, all day. And largely the doctor is going to be just reading what he said and translate or he or she, it was a he in this case, he or she said and translating it to you. Anyway, I had never been more surprised and more proud. It said general non-specific thickening of the skull. So, <laughs> really? So, <laughs> uh, talking to a bunch of doctors later in life and that sort of stuff, they think a lot of that repetitive stress of banging the head into the ground or the, the cement as a youngster would have actually thickened the skull a bit. And there's a few other theories, but that's my favorite. <laughs> so maybe, maybe you're onto something. Maybe like this should be a standard practice, you know, <laughs> strongly don't recommend. No, 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 yeah. no. I'm very against as much of the old school boxing, non-medical, non-modern uh -huh. science stuff. Like, I mean, I won't I won't call anybody out specifically, but like, you know, there's an old guard of, of fight coaches and, and uh, cornermen and all those people that are trying to get you down to the lowest weight possible. And, you know, you, you and I are heavyweights. So, you know, it's uh, but, uh, you know, you get a guy that's 165 pounds. Oh, he can fight 135. You know, it's like, ah, so, you know, I, I I did way too much of that dehydration in my career. So it's uh, yeah. Yeah, you're kind of uh, growing up. You were kind of like doing some Shaolin Iron Head training, right? You were <laughs> you were getting strengthened yeah. in all parts of your body. You they you knew that you're a warrior. You were getting ready for battle in the future. Apparently, thanks, Matthew. I like <laughs> I, I like that uh, your view from that. I like there was boxing gloves regularly given to us uh, as children like remember these big round blow up ones i mean they were probably small now but like bigger than our heads when we were kids and then I remember other ones but they were always taken away pretty pretty quickly we didn't keep them very long because we loved it like we <laughs> so blood was the problem earlier on and then i my mom really doesn't and didn't like violence and then uh, later on was uh, we figured out in the basement you get the guy up against the wall and just put him through the jip rock so then dad got tired of fixing holes in the walls and we got tired of getting punished for that. So those boxing gloves disappeared. So, yeah. <laughs> and then I, I was reading up. Um, so your, your first beginnings into sport per se was uh, working or being a forward for uh, St. FX's football team. Oh yeah. So I was a, a offensive guard there. Yeah. So offensive offensive guard. Line. You know, I played a little bit of, so I guess I played hockey until I was about 13 okay. or 14 from very young, from when I was four, but uh, I wasn't great. Like it was house league hockey and, you know, I was the, you know, I was a good defenseman for a house league hockey team. How's that? <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> that sport never really clicked. Uh, like it never really clicked until really, I think St. of X was, uh, I walked onto the football team there and uh, so big guy, I'd been boxing, uh, uh, the, the year before that with just an amateur boxer that I live with and uh, some interesting stories there we can get into whether it's today or another time but literally just a bag of gloves and a, and a lawn and just beating the hell out of each other there was very little boxing training but uh, <laughs> so yeah I, guess, up, eh? yeah I think I spent a little too much time throughout my life and then my career being tough you know <laughs> you got the you got the ring still on you the Saint of X ring? Yes. Oh, you know, I don't have it today. Actually, I left oh. it. Oh, well, don't I even hope, ask I that. Hope, I hope no uh, reps are, li are listening or watching this podcast. Anybody, well, if it, if if it's a rep, you are listening to the podcast, and he does have his ring on. Just so you know. 
<laughs> I've actually, because of boxing, I've lost a bunch of them. So I've, I think I have the record for the most extra. Uh, just I, I'm current. I currently own my tenth one. Wow. I was gonna say, how do you hold on to that for that long? But yeah, They're expensive. <laughs> I was like, man, are you like using it to like bludge as a bludgeon, or you know, you're you're hitting people with the the rings? Take, What's taking 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 the rings off at the gym all the time, you know? Or, true. So true. True. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. As, as you mentioned, uh, this is a boxing podcast, oh. and uh, definitely we want to delve into it. But before we go into it. I think it's it, it's something that should be talked about, even if it's really briefly. Um, as, as you like, this is more of like a news thing. But as everybody knows, there's a conflict going on in Ukraine right now. You know, this podcast we try to avoid more political type discussions. But one thing that's that is apparent is that quite a few uh, boxers from Ukraine are now in uh, fights. Uh, against Russia and, and everything like that, like uh, the Klitschko brothers, uh, yep. Alexander Usyk, Vasily Lomachenko. These are all boxers that I look up to, and I can't help but feel like, um, you know, really proud of them defending their their country um, and doing something that I think, like, as far as boxing, like in their career, right? It could it could have lasting uh, complications to their career. So uh, what do you make of all this, uh, you know, boxers and, and everything like that, that are, that are uh, defending their country right now? You know, I, uh, I think if, if you come from a democratic and free country and, and uh, you're under attack and you want to defend it, I mean, that's, that seems pretty normal, uh, you know, they're, they're boxers, sure, but they're people first, right? They've got friends and they've got family. And I mean, some of them live there. I think one of the Klitschko's is one of the mayors of a city mm -hmm. in Ukraine. So it's... Vitaly, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's terrible. I, uh, I never thought we would see this type of war again in my lifetime, but uh, here we are. Yeah, and, and it's kind of weird because... Um... As anybody listening, um, you know, every every country is, is has been handling the whole COVID situation differently, different provinces. Um, mm. And we've in, in Nova Scotia really been blessed with uh, the fact that, you know, for the most part, COVID is kind of the, the restrictions are coming to to an end. I think by next month or so, uh, most of the restrictions will be gone. So there was like a huge relief in a lot of our hearts. But then kind of seeing this conflict go about, it's kind of like from one thing to the next. And, yep. uh, and again, the only, the only reason I really brought this up for anybody listening is just that it is, it is also a boxing story. You know, um, the fact that, uh, one of the heavyweight champions of the world is, uh, the mayor of, you know, the capital city, uh, that's being under attack right now. Like this is a huge, yep. huge story for boxing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I like anything that, uh, you know, while I was growing up, uh, I spent a lot of my time defending or not even speaking about my fighting career. Mm -hmm. um, you know, being an academic, you know, a lot of the people at university, like I would regularly have people come in my office and like, what are you doing, Sandy? What are you doing playing this sport? I think I've had some family members doing the same. You're wasting your time. You're going to wreck your brain. Yeah, you know, like you should be focused on this or that or more academic things and that sort of stuff. But yeah, just the, uh, I, I, Ukraine's famous for having some, you know, pretty uh, big boxing names. And I think, yeah, I think it's just nice to see 
that life being breathed into the fighters that are actually gone home and you know, were staying home and fighting for their country. I mean, good luck to them. Yeah, I and hope I hope I hope everybody's safe. Well. I hope that you know this does this conflict ends uh, you know peacefully as soon as um, possible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I know that was a little grim. I, I felt like it was necessary to address anybody listening. Okay. We are, you know, living in 2022. This is a this is present. Um, but <laughs> I wanted to kind of shift now to to kickboxing. So you you started off kickboxing, um, and I believe combined with with boxing, you have uh, 130 bouts. Yeah, I think it's 133 or something around there. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about kind of those those early days of kickboxing and, and getting fights because kickboxing something maybe that's not as popular in canada but certainly yeah. in like other parts of the world yeah uh is really popular can you just talk much, a little bit about that yeah much bigger in europe back then and then still it's got it's it's you know it, it's actually increased in popularity as my career had finished so um I was fighting during a time when kickboxing was not legal in Canada. Uh, there was also some issues down in the States and uh, I was pretty fortunate because I was a heavy offensive lineman at St. Avex. And then after school, after college or university was done, I said, you know, my undergrad anyway, I was like, well, I should, you know, probably be doing something to get this weight off. I don't need me walking around at over 300 pounds or, or close to 300 pounds or whatever. So and uh, just FYI, I was not one of those guys that ever touched the steroids or anything. I've got the body type where I can put, you know, weight on, good or bad, pretty easily. So, uh, I mean, probably harder now at, at 49 than it was at 29. But uh, <laughs> anyway, the um, I had a friend that was going to this club called the Ottawa Fight Club, Aaron Ceballos, who was running that. And he just had a bag of gloves and mitts and, like, shin guards. And this kind of felt like what I'd been doing with, you know, the amateur boxer I said I'd lived with the, the year before at St. Avex. And it was a sparring club. Like we just went in and he had a timer and, you know, you'd, I'd go across to you, Matthew, and be like, hey, yeah, are we boxing or are we kicking? And I mean, I couldn't kick anything. So mostly boxing for me. I remember guys kicking me in the legs a few times and not liking that too much. But uh, anyway, yeah, so I started like that. And uh, very infrequently, I think I was doing some weights on the side and that sort of stuff maybe some other fitness stuff, uh, running, whatever, and just generally getting in shape. And then if uh, someone said, hey, there's a fight coming up, so just an amateur kickboxing fight. There's a guy named Steve Anderson putting that on, passed away now. He was famous uh, karate point fighter, fought guys like Billy Blanks and all those guys back in the day when it was like full contract karate and big money in it. Anyway, uh, I remember negotiating that first fight and um, – running into some people and training like crazy for two months and getting all kinds of information about nutrition and uh, exercise and how to train for a fight and what to think about, what movies to watch, what, yeah, it was crazy. Cause I, I had a, a sparring coach, but he was, he said, I'm not a coach. So I, I actually went out looking for a secondary coach during that, before that first fight, John McMahon, who ended up being one of the uh, coaches for the Canadian national team. And he turns out, I was in Ottawa at the time. I grew up there from Nova Scotia, but grew up in Ottawa. And uh, he, uh, yeah, he uh, was a year ahead of me at my high school. Didn't even know who he was. And he had uh, two world titles at the time. And uh, yeah, we decided, uh, I just bumped into him, had some chats. And he ended up 
give me some advice before I got in the ring and, you know, just some good, <laughs> some good thoughts and that sort of stuff. I think on the day of the fight and uh, yeah, back then you had to have seven or eight kicks per round. And uh, we talked about it and the people knew it was my first time ever. And then I had no proficiency kicking and said, yeah, just come out right at the beginning of the round and just wave your foot in the, in the air, like three or four times. I'm like, like, like ankle high, knee high. They're like, yeah, whatever you can do, kid. <laughs> you know, I was, you know, Did the later fight gets stopped in the round if there wasn't enough kicks. No, it's a points thing. Actually, okay. great question. Yeah. It's just you would lose, uh, depending where it was, you would either lose a point for not getting your kicks in or you'd lose a point per kick. So, like, it was very prohibitive. It was to stop boxers from taking over kickboxing and allow, you know, people to come up because it was, you know, very beginner level stuff that I was fighting at then. So, great question. You know, I beat the guy. I remember being really scared. He was a jiu-jitsu teacher from the other end of the city. And, you know, it was all inside my head, but... Yeah, just uh, push forward and just uh, I was in decent shape for my first fight and just very gritty, just uh, had zero interest in losing and really wanted to win. So just kept going forward, 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 throwing punches. And, and what type of, of uh, frequency were you fighting that back then? Because I imagine to get that many fights, I mean, you had to fight uh, you know, yeah. quite often. Yeah, so a lot of it. Now, the fights again, now, when people talk about fight count, right, there's amateur and then there's professional fights that's my total fight count put together amateur and pro and it was because back then once i hit a certain level in kickboxing uh it was kind of like basketball in the olympics a few years ago and that like all the nba players came and just like they were professional players and they came and competed in amateur olympics and there was a world kickboxing was like that back then like you could literally put your head protector on your headgear on one weekend take it off the next week and go fight pro then put it on and go fight amateur the next weekend so okay. a lot of it was tournament style right so you could fight a couple times in a day or three four five times in a week and uh, before they started to change those rules and stopping you know you from competing that much in sort of full contact sport it's you know obviously for trauma to the head apart from the rest of the body the head has been the focus so so fighting multiple times, like I, I used to do um, like point karate, like sports karate Ooh. tournaments. So obviously there wasn't a lot of damage. Um, when you were doing the kickboxing tournaments, were they kind of point tournaments as well? Like uh, akin, something akin to like something that Stephen Wonderboy Thompson would have done or. Um, so I, I did a little bit of the, uh, they sometimes called it uh, light contact or continuous sparring and that sort of stuff. I did some of that in the beginning. But it just speed was not my thing. That wasn't really my thing. And a lot of the tournaments that we went to in that way, like we would go to tournaments where it was called light contact because of the legalities around full contact kickboxing, but they were full contact tournaments. And even I fought overseas one time in both divisions in the full contact and the light contact. And the light contact were just the less experienced guys and the full contact was the more experienced guy, uh, guys and girls because it was... Yeah, there was always men and women competing separately, not together. So when I think about kickboxing, um, you know, I, I realize that there is like a, a difference between kickboxing and like Muay Thai, right? Because yeah. kickboxing, you can't use, uh, is it knees and you can't use well, elbows? You know, it, it's a great question, Matthew, but there's a whole 
unlike boxing or MMA now, which has unified rules, I mean, we're not talking about like the weird stuff you see in Russia with like the five people on the ring at the time or something, but like there's the unified <laughs> rules for MMA um, that UFC follows, obviously. Kickboxing, there was just so many different organizations and the way they would try to, uh, they would like have slightly different weight classes, slightly different rules, minimum kicks, no minimum kicks. Like I remember fighting my first couple of world championships and just there was like one style called Oriental which I still don't know what the rules were today. It looked kind of Muay Thai. It had, I think it had knees and it had leg kicks and that sort of stuff. When I started, though, the majority of my kickboxing fights were above the waist and they called it full contact. So just because it, 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 it kickboxing on this part of the world was an evolution, like you said, from uh, martial arts. It went from karate point sparring, which was like, I hit you, I score a point, then we stop, and then we continue. Then it went to continuous fighting, which is what light contact was called or whatever, which was just kickboxing. But you were technically not supposed to throw haymakers at the head or uh, or knock people out with head kicks and that sort of stuff. But, you know, it happened. Um, and then continuous went to full contact kickboxing. But then there was all types of other kickboxing around the world, like Muay Thai and that sort of stuff that were, in my opinion, or whatever, unrelated to that development of those two sports like they developed very differently and separately and i think things like k1 and glory and that sort of stuff which are the big kickboxing organizations worldwide have sort of blended those things together the ufc obviously you know shed a lot of light and into the world and the techniques of kickboxing and like you said steve wonderboy thompson i was lucky i got to fight in a bunch of his undercards back when he was a okay kickboxer. okay great guy he's as good he's as good and as peaches and cream and like everyday all-american apple pie happy you know kind of friendly kind of like martial art instructor guy like he's like that in real life like he is super friendly wonderful smart killer deserving of the uh nicest mother effer belt that's right yeah oh when he got that i was like oh, of course he <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so I, I come from a karate background and I kind of followed like a lot of the people in, in the UFC that had karate backgrounds. And I was really surprised that quite a few of them, like, uh, like Steven Wonderboy Thompson. And then I'm also thinking, I think Michael Page might have yeah, also Michael had Venom some Page. Michael oh. Venom Page. Um, a few of the, the karate, um, you know, crossed over into kickboxing before they went into uh, mixed martial arts. And, you know, a lot of the point tournaments and I, I'm just thinking to myself that that's, that's really cool that you were able to, you know, fight on some of the, or he was fighting in the undercards. Uh, he's somebody I, I looked up to. to I, I the, was fighting on the undercards. He was the main event. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> oh, I was going to say, um, but yeah, so that's, that's really awesome that you were fighting on the same cards that he was headlining. He was um, a great guy. I mean, it's, it's like any kind of sport or fringe sort of group, you know, like, at a certain point when you start traveling and that sort of stuff, it's a pretty small community. Yeah. I, I kind of am getting, getting the sense of that now. Um, Cause I, I know as a fan, like the community does seem really big. Um, but you know, once you, like you said, once you start going to tournaments and there's only like 12 fights or however many fights, I mean, you know, and those are two, two uh, combatants or whatnot. There's, there's not that many people there. So Ooh. it's like a smaller, smaller group. Um, so you did kickboxing, um, and, and one thing that I, I pulled up, oh, oh, 
my uh, my YouTube was playing a video. I was like, who's that in the background? Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. So one, one post that I pulled up from 2016 on your Facebook, um, you were talking about, um, you know, fighting in Munich, March, 2006 at the Stakos fight night. And, uh, you, you talked about the K1 fighter, Andy hug as being a huge inspiration for you. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the first you know time you, you were watching his fights and, and that kind of thing? You know, Andy Hoog was, uh, I don't know, he was just, uh, he was so athletic and dynamic. I figured out later years that he, he was a Kyokushin karate guy and this sort of stuff, hey. but just kicking and everything was just, he was phenomenal. He was just amazing to watch. It, the axe kick was the the one that uh, really got me just, uh, for anybody that knows, I'm, I'm putting my hand up like this, but you literally pick your leg up in the air and you drop your heel on the other on your the other person's head or shoulder or wherever you hit them, you know, it causes a lot of damage. And uh, actually, so yeah, Hoog was a great guy, but then there was another guy, Mazamul Nawaz, uh, or Maz, a lot of people know him as, he was a five-time kickboxing world champion. And uh, he was one of these guys that I looked up, at, up to. He was the head coach of the Canadian team when I made that in oof, a while ago. And uh I didn't I thought of him as the head coach and you know obviously new fighting and this kind of stuff and I didn't realize till like after no, knowing for a year or so that he was you know still competing and still fighting and he was phenomenal and he had an axe kick and that uh so that watching some Andy Hoog and then meeting Maz I just Maz was also famous for his axe kick and that got me super into wanting to do it once and I was bugging him for a while I was like not for you not for you because I didn't come from a martial art background I just came from a you know sport background and uh, I guess I didn't have the flexibility at that point. And then after a few years, I kept bugging him. And he finally says, you know what, Sandy, if there's some techniques, if you don't have the flexibility for it, you can muscle your way through it. So I remember having a killer sparring session in Australia one time. Just, you know, you have one of those great days and you get out and it's like feast or famine. And I'm feasting. I'm just feeling it. I'm going to keep training. I start throwing axe kicks in the in the, in the uh, the mirror. And again, don't do this at home, kids. Yeah. <laughs> I got it up one time, just way higher than it ever got. And I felt a ping in my hamstring and boom, it just coming. And all of a sudden now it could just go so high. And I was, it was a bit of pain, but it was acute. And I'd been training for, you know, a few hours at that point. So I wasn't feeling much pain, but yeah. So I have uh, some really good scar tissue in my left hamstring from from learning how to throw an ass kick. (laughs) I was going to say before hearing about the scar tissue, I was like, maybe that was your body saying you've elevated to the next level, you know? Like it was, it's so, uh, well, you know, apparently, yes, I, <laughs> <laughs> I had the ability sometimes to train well beyond what my body uh, should have allowed me to. <laughs> awesome. I have, little, I have a little titanium in my neck, too, that uh, I was known for having a like a really, really, really good chin in both kickboxing and boxing. And I remember coaches, I remember co- one coach slapped me in the corner one time and saying, for F's sake, Sandy, we know you're tough. Can you show us smart for one effing round, you know? <laughs> Which means you're getting beat up, you know? It's, it's not, uh, so yeah, I got smarter later in my career, I had to, but uh, my natural position was just, just attrition fighter, just straightforward. So you're, you're like, uh, you know, Connor's got that, uh, that's titanium shin bone. So you're like, uh, you kind of like a Terminator guy as well. You got like the, 
you know, the, right. the titanium neck going. That's right. <laughs> Keep going. Were you, did you have the titanium neck when you were, when you were fighting? So I, uh, I got it. I, my last fight was in 2017 and that's when I, I got the surgery that year after that fight. Okay. And, and how is your neck now? Like it was a 2016, but I got the surgery in 2017. Uh, it's a little, it's a little stiff. You know, I gotta, gotta do a lot of mobility work on it or I have to do some, I should mm -hmm. do more. <laughs> Always. Oh, I'm the same way. I got to do some stuff for my shoulders. I'm starting to feel it. I've been uh, Ooh, yeah. training yeah, at man. tribal and uh, you know, their, the shoulder strength and, and that type of stuff is a huge um, part of their kind of uh uh knowledge base or whatnot and well it's hard as an older guy talking to a younger guy in the sport do the boring work trust me it'll save you a lot of pain and surgery later in life <laughs> i appreciate it i appreciate it yeah. and that's not just to you obviously that's to anybody listening yeah. um so i i am gonna uh talk talk with you about boxing next and then i'm also just just so you know i am gonna also delve into you know marketing you know the business side kind of the after after the fighting stuff too so i just wanted to tell you like there that that point of the conversation will will come um cool. but i'm really interested uh when did you start um competing in, in boxing after the whole you know you were doing that at, at uh with your was it your roommate um yeah yeah so well yeah so that was like 94 that i was living with uh, peter redekop mm -hmm. in uh lower town ottawa like right in the edge of the market not a great area and we were students, you know, and uh, so I'm trying to think. So I think I was, I, I think 99 was my first kickboxing fight. So I was training. Yeah, I think I started training kickboxing or sparring with, with some people kicking me, <laughs> as we discussed in 99. And uh, I ended up, I mentioned John McMahon, who was one of the coaches of the Canadian team. And he had a local club in Ottawa, I started training with him immediately after that first fight and then made that can the Canadian team later that year. Excuse me. Sorry. And, uh, the, uh, very soon into training with John and taking some kickboxing fights. Uh, so the, the style of kickboxing we did, which we, it's called full contact or North American kickboxing was exactly the same punches and scoring zone as boxing, but you could also kick people in those areas as well. So you could kick above the waist in the head whatever that sort of stuff and it was all the same exactly the same punches as boxing so uh as soon as i got started kickboxing he got me boxing as well pretty quickly so i was taking kickboxing fights primarily but the odd time i would take a boxing fight as well so amateur boxing okay so you were you were kind of uh going in between different rule sets and uh i'm yeah. I'm, I'm sure there was times where you were like uh you know, was there ever time you were in a fight? Am I in a kickboxing fight or am I in a boxing fight? I can't remember. You know, it's a good question. And there's a few <laughs> times where, like, there's been a couple of times, I don't remember, I'd certainly sparring or something where, you're like, you know, I'm throwing, like, uh, my old favorite combination was a jab and a cross and then a lead leg round kick. Mm -hmm. and you either throw that to the body or the head. But, yeah, I'd, like, drop some people with liver shots with that leg, like, that round kick. But uh, yeah, the odd time boxing, you know, you're kind of throwing something in your body, just my hip would go, you know, like it would start going or, you know, but I never really came close in a boxing fight to kick anybody in the head. Most of the time I would train very specifically boxing for like, you know, 
a couple of weeks or longer, you know, and not throw any kicks to sort of get into that head frame. And, and, you know, the distance is different. The timing is different. You know, like you do want to spend a lot of time focusing on that sport as you're competing in it. Now was, you know, the boxing community and I, and I love boxing. Um, yeah. Uh, could be a little divisive um, yeah. fair, fairly like, oh, uh, yeah. you know, when, the, when another person from another sport goes into boxing, even now, you know, a lot of, you hear a lot oh, of people, yeah. Oh yeah, they're not real boxers. Blah, blah. Yeah. So what was it like, uh, you know, competing in some boxing, um, having a, a kickboxing background, was there respect? Did people respect you? Uh, was there some people saying, Oh, this guy's a kickboxer. Why is he, why is he, what is he doing here? Or. Oh, you know what? It's a great question, Matthew. The, the uh, there was a lot of tension, uh, and and like you said, still is. But yeah, it was it was fascinating because that tension existed, and because I had such a good chin, and I was always in the early part of my career in great shape. Uh, there's a few fights online where I was kind of like working full time, running or owning a business, and like kind of trying to keep my foot in like the athlete camp and the fight and, and the business stuff too, and really focused on business. And obviously it's obvious I wasn't that focused on my fitness. So <laughs> the, um, and I, I don't recommend that either. You don't want to get in there just cause you can take the punches. You shouldn't be in there doing it, you know, but uh, the boxing kickboxing, it, it was fun for me because once I got in there, I would get a lot of instant respect once I started sparring, like not, not just like, you know, at the fights, but you had to go and spar at other boxing clubs, but because I could take a punch so well and keep coming, moving forward, a lot of coaches just respected. I got personal respect instantly. Uh, but yeah. I remember lots of times taking some friends or traveling like to uh, kickboxing or sorry, to boxing clubs to get some sparring in where, that same respect wasn't given to some of the folks I was traveling with because they just weren't as comfortable with, you know, not being able to use their feet or getting hit that hard in the face with no exit, you know, like a lot of, yeah, not, not having their full toolkit. And, and another thing, and maybe this, this kind of goes, goes to another interesting question, but there is a lot of boxing techniques that, when you think about it being in kickboxing or mixed martial arts really doesn't, isn't the best strategy, if that makes sense. Like, you know, sometimes the head movement in, in boxing yeah. versus kickboxing is a lot more exaggerated. Yeah. Were you adapting your style that much when you were fighting these different fights or were you having pretty well the same style? You know, great question, actually. So si similar style, but constant like improvement on tactics and strategy. So, um, yeah, I had very, I, I, one of the reasons I was able to do so well in the sport, starting it later in life, apart from like whatever natural gifts I had, which was basically a chin and an ability to like have grace under pressure, right? I could be getting shelled and still kind of keep going, but I had really, really good coaches and I listened to them really well. Like I, yeah, so the, the, the beginning of my career was John McMahon and then Ms. Nawaz and, uh, those those guys are i think john isn't really involved in the sport very much but Ms. M is still the head coach of the national team and he does all the glory fights in canada and that sort of stuff so he's great and then uh as i started traveling and going other places you know there was different coaches uh, david lee from Toshido, who like uh, had rory mcdonald and a bunch of other ufc fighters so i was with him for a few years and Kelowna, and then obviously peter martell here in halifax but i haven't fought 
since I uh, started training with the great Pete Martel. Um, yes. He's, he's obviously, you know, an encyclopedia of knowledge with it and a brilliant ability to teach as well. You know, like he just has a great ability to translate that, his knowledge to the level of the person he's sort of dealing with, whether it's a beginner student day one or, you know, an old retired fella. <laughs> way too much, much fighting experience yeah he just has a really nice way of dealing with people but uh yeah I, I, i'm missing all kinds of coaches that i've worked with uh, a bunch down in the u.s and that sort of stuff but uh and some great guys in uh, australia steve peach and then yeah anyway i'll stop uh just in case so watch this is this is like <laughs> uh this is obviously like the most uh you know, sound bitey type of question. Uh, but you've also um, had some experience uh, in the Fury, in some of the Fury camps. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, training with, uh, with Tyson. Uh, did you spar also with, with Huey? Yeah, actually, yeah. I think. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, this is big Tyson Fury. I mean, he's kind of uh, one of the most popular boxers right now, heavyweight champ. Um, you know, he's got a fight coming up against Dylan White. Can you talk a little bit about how you were approached to to help him train and, and that whole yeah. experience? So th apparently they showed up in Ottawa. I was living in Ottawa again at this time. And this was this was Fury, Tyson Fury's training camp for Steve USS Cunningham. And Steve was a cruiserweight coming up to fight Tyson, their heavyweight. So I, I think it was was a good fight for Tyson, <laughs> but, uh, and I think he'd been coming off a bit of a layoff and it was Huey Fury's pro debut. Okay. So, uh, I was having one of those times I had had like some bad illness, like mono or strep throat or something. I've been home eating ice cream and getting fat and, and, uh, you've heard the expression coming off the couch. Like yes. sometimes, you know, a boxer is coming off the couch to get into the ring. So unfortunately a bunch of my boxing fights, I was coming off the couch, but this is the, I came off the couch to go into their, their training camp. Cause they, the guess they just didn't have people lined up. Maybe they showed up in town early. I don't even know. Mm -hmm. It was, Eric Martel that and used to own final round boxing in Ottawa and we'd gotten along. He'd worked my corner for a couple of fights. So he knew I could stand in there and give these guys a few rounds and at least give them, you know, like basically a moving body, you know? <laughs> so I got there and uh, to be honest, I didn't even know who Fury was at that point. I wasn't following boxing that closely. I was following more whatever, but you know, a little Google research on the way to the gym and, hop in the ring and uh <laughs> i honest to god uh tyson fury took it real easy on me he was doing a lot of movement and uh we got along just just really well like he, he was a really really good guy i really i really enjoyed the time with him that first day sparring and then uh but then uh i immediately jumped in with huey now huey has just got amazing accuracy and really heavy hands and uh he had just won, I think, the European amateur title and a bunch of stuff. Yeah, he was very, very skilled. Peter Fury was is is Huey's father and Tyson Fury's uncle, and he was their coach. And that was it. It was just him. That was just it's a really tight squad for a guy that. Uh, and when was this? Like, does it? Uh, did you pull up Huey's pro debut? Like, it would have been twenty thirteen ish, maybe. Probably, yeah. Box break. And just. Uh, Pro if, debut is 2013. Yeah. 
So yeah, so it was 2013. Is it so the anyway, Bell Center? The Bell Center in Montreal? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yes. So we ended up, uh, ended up being Huey Fury's main sparring partner for that uh, first pro debut. So, uh, but I, yeah, so I was there every day in camp and that sort of stuff twice a day, some days it was, uh, it was pretty great. It was uh, pretty neat to see as Tyson got closer to fight. I remember some other guys coming in and like better box, much better boxers than I. And uh, I got to see the dog in the ring. He dropped a few guys uh, in sparring, which <laughs> didn't go so well with them or their coaches at the time but uh yeah and i'm just checking like uh this would have been a really interesting time to be with tyson because this was before um you know he went against uh vladimir klitschko um and and kind of had that dark period um that he kind of came back from and then fought wilder Serious serious mental health struggles Yes, and and I really I really um, look up to Tyson Fury mostly because he, uh, you know, he shares a lot of those struggles with people, and you yeah. kind of realize that um, even when you kind of have achieved everything you've ever wanted, yeah. um, you know, it can be a very lonely feeling, and and it makes us kind of reassess what our goals are because we don't want to have you know the similar thing. I, I have to ask because yeah. you know one thing about Tyson, I love I love Tyson. There's a little bit of controversy with that guy, uh, yeah. especially with, with his camps. You know, I don't yeah. know um, what specific fight in general that, that this was brought up, but he, there's talk about how he would give his sparring partners um, uh, or uh, really good gloves, and then he wouldn't use really good gloves. Now, <laughs> it, seems, it seems in your situation, as you were saying, he was, he was not taking advantage of you. He was, you know, going light yeah. and everything like that. Do you, do yeah. you, did you see anything about, you know, maybe attention in the camp or anything like that, or was everything respectful? But you know what? I think, I think it was very respectful. Yeah. It, uh, there's passion. I mean, I mean, like I played football in college and then I've been a lot around boxing games. You get some guys that get angry or throw fit or whatever, that kind of stuff. But you know, there was, you know, there were, there was the odd temper and that sort of stuff in the gym, but, uh, you know, this was some like, high level well, top of the food chain eventually for you know sparring and an intense camp so yeah it was uh yeah no i i honestly thought that all of the furies peter huey and uh and uh tyson were just absolute gentlemen I, I really enjoyed my time with them and they were lovely people and i learned a lot too obviously everybody everybody kind of sizes people up um especially in the in the boxing or fighting world like being with Tyson, seeing how huge, like tall he is, and everything like that. Oh, uh, can you just give us a little bit of like an insight? Because I mean, not everybody had the opportunity to meet him in person. Like, uh, oh, like just physically, like moving yeah. around. Yeah, oh, it, it, you don't expect a guy that big to be able to move that well. He he just he moved like he was 135 pounds. You know, <laughs> he just wow. like his his just. Yeah, he he just had incredible movement, and he he really knew how to use his length. Like a lot of tall guys, obviously not at that level, but you see, they just you know they crowd themselves. You see, in you know at, at the amateur level or even the beginner pro level, they don't use the full extent of their of uh, their reach. But yeah, he was so good. He used his arms and legs to make sure that he was always in a position to hit you, and you had to work awfully hard to touch him. <laughs> That that's awesome that you had the experience, uh, you know, being in the ring with him because, uh, yeah, he's he's somebody that 
um I, I don't know. I don't know how to say this. A lot of people think that that Tyson could possibly beat almost any heavyweight in in history, um, just because of a lot of um, now that, that's a, obviously a debate. But just because of the characteristics he has, how tall he is, how yep. um, you know how he's, he's able to take people out, and you know you've seen with Deontay Wilder two three, oh, yeah. um, you're also able to see that he's got a lot of endurance. Um, yeah. You know, he's got reach. So he's got like so many check boxes checked off. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's really awesome that you had that experience, especially again, before those kind of dark times. Um, so, because that, I believe that was one of the times where he was, um, you know, at his best and then he's been getting better and better. Yeah. So we talked a lot about kickboxing, about boxing. And now I just wanted to talk about kind of that thing that you've been kind of talking in the back that's been in the background for a while, you know, your business ventures. Mm. You said while you're, you're a fighter, um, you also were, you know, either teaching or you were studying or, or, you know, um, being within the business world. And I know you also have your own uh, Sandy beach marketing company. Can Mm. you just talk a little bit about, you know, when you discovered that you had this uh, other talent for entrepreneurship and marketing? Yeah, you know, I, uh, thanks, Matthew. I appreciate that. I, I, I don't know why they say, you know, my father's very entrepreneurial. So he had, uh, it's one of these guys that kept a full-time day job, but also had businesses on the side. So he's always uh, sort of in, in low key sort of, you know, I sort of liked that idea. And then, uh, yeah, I was, I was going through high school and, you know, did a few jobs and that sort of stuff. I was looking for, you know, I really do believe that if you're passionate about something and then just, it just makes life easier, right? You don't want to spend your days doing something that you hate because it, it makes your life miserable. So, <laughs> and I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir. I can see from your smile, but uh, for whatever reason, I just found, I found the way that you can motivate and work with people in business at a very early age to be pretty exciting. And that was, uh, I'd been bumped up to like the lowest level manager at McDonald's sort of thing. And I just remember having some magical experiences, making other people's days by literally allowing them to do the job that they wanted to do, as opposed to you do this, like I'm not a very authoritarian sort of fellow. I prefer to find, help people find their passion and that sort of stuff. And so it was the people first in business that sort of led me in that direction. And I think at the end of the day, if you kind of understand business is not that complicated, there's products and services and there's people that need or want them and then bring those people together. So I've always used the term marketing. That was my first degree was management and marketing, I guess. Um, But yeah, so it's just general business consulting for, I I prefer the small business and the medium-sized business and this sort of stuff. I've done some big business stuff. Uh, I just like having the ability to sit down and have conversations with the leaders of an organization, whatever whatever size it is, and helping them see where they want to go with, you know, their next move, really, if that makes sense. And what what was it like? Because because I I seeing it was it was 1998 when you first got your bachelor of business administration. Yeah. Um, and obviously like the internet was there. Uh, I think it just the beginnings. <laughs> um, 
what was marketing <laughs> what was marketing then compared to now and and maybe also can you comment it on you know having that experience of of what marketing was then how it's helped you throughout against some of the the people that that didn't have or the people that grew up with social media hmm, that's a great question so yeah like i had email in 98 and i had email throughout college so from 94 to 98 and i think i had a hotmail account college so yeah so it was and then one of my first jobs uh it was uh I, that dot-com blip in 99 i was the manager of marketing for a, a massive company in canada for all of canada you know arguably way too young for that position but it certainly uh helped me understand how uh some of the bigger moves in business happen and that sort of stuff um it was interesting because back then like think about in 99 and 2000, like people were trying to sell cars and groceries and all this kind of stuff online, which makes perfect sense in 2022, but it did not in 1999, it just in 2000, it was just too much. Right. So like Amazon is somebody that survived, obviously they were selling like books and CDs back then. And that, you know, that made sense, right. You know, you go buy a book or a CD online, but like a, car you want to drive and a tomato you want to squeeze it you know like it's <laughs> just it just didn't work um so yeah it's been fascinating to i never really considered myself an internet guy uh back then but a, a large part of what i've been doing for the past many years has revolved around the computers and that sort of stuff like i remember having i owned some supplement stores at west and uh, sort of a natural fit with the fighting career health and nutrition that's where i had the your gym show. bag oh that was there was your gym bag there was popeyes there was energy ah. health and nutrition. there was like three different three different uh, ones that uh wow you've got uh <laughs> you've got some uh you got some good research skills, Matthew. So yeah, there was three different brands I was involved with. And then I got started with a, a company in Australia called Gentech Nutrition, G-E-N-T-E-C, uh, when I was there. Anyway, great guy, Nick Nick Jones owns that still. And he was one of my first real sponsors. He was sponsoring me uh, nutritionally and that sort of stuff. But anyway, uh, sorry, I, I, you've... Uh, well, the question, yeah, no. So I remember the reason I was bringing up the supplement stores is I remember spending a lot of money, like 20 grand a month on radio and that sort of stuff. And uh, as a consultant with some chains and then with my own stores and then realizing, you know, like how am I tying like this radio spend or whatever other advertising spend to actual sales going on in the store and that's when facebook was starting to get big in like 2007 ish and i got I jumped into that pretty quick and realized long before you could even do ads on facebook you know i was just shipping uh protein and supplements to friends all around canada because we were reconnecting on facebook as opposed to through an email or a text message or whatever back then and they just had this place where you could have all your friends and family and like, Oh, we want to support you or I want some nutrition or I heard your radio show, Sandy. Hey, help me out. So yeah, it's been an interesting transition to just communications getting better and better and richer and deeper and that sort of stuff. And then I guess what I like about the social media or the internet and that sort of stuff now is that you can actually have a much better idea who you're reaching and who you're talking to and who's interacting with you and that sort of stuff. I'd say that's the best piece of, the transition of that piece of marketing or sort of business communication throughout my life. 
And and you mentioned how you've had email for quite a long time. And this is just kind of an interesting business question per se. Um, because email email is something that uh for lack of a better term, personal emailing is kind of less and less common, but but emailing is still a standard within business, like especially yeah. when you're trying to contact or deal yeah. with customers and whatnot. Um, you know, like when I didn't know what a carbon copy was or, or anything yeah. like that starting out uh, now. And then I, I just think of all the people that, that had email and, and had that experience. So um, yeah. What's your, what's your take on emails is email something that that's kind of fading away or does it still have its place? It's, it's still very, very valuable in business. So uh, most places you'll notice want your email address. They'll give you a free something just to get your email address and, and the permission to send you stuff. So it means I have one-to-one contact with you and the ability to continue messaging you. So my advice there, though, is not only do you have to have a good offer and a good reason for you to give me your email so I can start mailing you stuff on behalf of my business, when I start mailing you that stuff, I have to make sure that it's stuff that resonates. Every email has to be something you want to open and something that you look forward to on some level, whether it's a discount or a good story or some good advice or whatever. But if you're not, uh, if you're not continuing providing that value, you're just, you're sort of collecting emails and dropping them out the bottom as people unsubscribe when you spam them. So you got to be uh, got to be careful with your audiences. <laughs> And can you, is there any um, relation to, um, cause I know you, I know you studied uh, business marketing, but has there been any relation um, towards your, your boxing, kickboxing experience to that venture of, you know, being a business person, maybe like I've seen a lot, some people um, I'm trying to think, uh, I think it was in an episode of, um, maybe better call Saul. There was a boss that was, uh, that was a, a boxer or whatnot. And, and there uh, tends to be a, a trend that there are like fighters who, who delve into business later in their career. Yeah. Is it, is there something that you get from, you know, going in the ring and, and fighting for, for yourself that allows you to kind of fight for other people and their brands and their dreams? You know, it's a good question. And I think intuitively, like we discussed, I'm a twin brother and he got sick when we were younger. So I've always been kind of that older brother protector sort of thing. And I really do have this sort of, I like to help and, and fight for other people. So I had that even before fighting. And that, you know, I think the like the biggest lessons are probably similar to most sports, like just discipline, commitment, um, you know, I think, you know, there's a, there's the nice thing about no one ever physically intimidates me. And I've, I've seen people try to do that in business before, uh, in some weird times in my career, you know, I've had a few people try to do that and people who didn't know that I had fought professionally or was still fighting professionally. And I just kind of, you know, I've enjoyed the moments when someone's pulled them aside and said, yeah, don't bully that guy or, or or I've had to pull somebody inside and, Hey, listen, like, can we just have a quiet conversation here? Like we're, we're trying to do a deal here and uh, we don't need to put any sort of threats or intimidation in there. And it's, you know, when you do that to any kind of bully. Yeah. I've enjoyed a couple moments like that. (laughs) Yeah, like the, I, I like, like to see their face after like, oh yeah, he's a, he's a professional fighter. Like, 
<laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, it, 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 it's amazing what people will do in business. Like there, there, there seems to be this ethos in American or Canadian business where they say, oh, it's nothing personal. It's just business. And, and I think, I think that's one of the worst expressions I've ever heard. And it's, it's, it's a way for people to justify terrible behavior because it's, it's, it is very personal, right? Especially if you own a small business or you are a small business or you work for small businesses, right? Corporations are faceless and uh, they're driven by the bottom line, but because, uh, you know, you're just paying shareholders, right? There's a, the people anyway, but uh, you know, but small business, it's all personal, right? It's uh yeah, we're all here trying to help each other and, you know, work together. All right, Sandy, we're getting close to, to time. And I always give everybody an opportunity now to kind of kind of talk about some stuff. Do you have any things going on right now? Any projects that you're a part of? Anything that you want to plug? Um, the, the mic's yours. No, you know, I would just say if there's anybody out there that wants to, that has a business that they're... Uh, uh, looking at expanding or growing or that sort of stuff if if you're largely doing uh, uh no harm to the world with your product or service i'm happy to have a conversation about it and i've worked across all kinds of industries so uh yeah you can get me uh i mean sandy pembroke punched into google will get you uh all my facebook or linkedin or twitter or all that kind of stuff so it's pretty easy to find me but happy to chat and uh yeah i uh at some point, I'll probably get back. I've helped out with a lot of fight promotions. That's I do like doing event stuff, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, um, just off the, the cuff, um, Derek Derek Clark, Fight League Atlantic. Um, oh, they've been doing great. They've been doing great. Yes, um, you know, I had the privilege of being on 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 their podcast. This, that podcast really inspired me to to try to to also start my own podcast. And it looks like there's quite a few events coming uh, coming together, especially with the restrictions slowing down. So it's looking like at least uh, every you know couple of months there's going to be in a, a big event. Um, then I had the the privilege, and I I always try to help my my other guests. Um, so Kyle McNeil wants to uh, to make a plunge into um, boxing promotion as well. Um, oh, wow. He he gave me a date in April. I'm not sure if things changed a little bit with how everything was going, um, yep. but he's somebody that uh, has a lot of appeal. You know, in all the fights that he's ever been a part of, he's always sold a lot of uh, a lot of tables, and he he has a a really big following on social media. Um, nice. Yeah. So it's I I really hope to see you in in some fight promotion because. Um, that seems to be something that's really opening up in this area and it's much needed for uh, a lot of the competitors to have, you know, regular competitions, um, you know, and to, to improve themselves and, and get us on the world stage. Mm, great. So Sandy, I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. You know, it's been a really, really uh, deep, insightful talk. Um, I, I hope you, I hope you take care. Um, and I really pre yeah, again, really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thanks, Matthew. It was a nice chat. I really enjoyed it. All right. You take care there, buddy. Okay, bud. And thank you so much for everybody for listening to this episode of good people, bad intentions. I had a really good time talking with Sandy 
And uh, after talking a little bit behind the scenes, we're going to have a special episode with him soon on the subject of mental health specifically. Uh, you know, mental health is something that's really important for everyone, and I look forward to having that conversation in the future. Uh, but speaking more so about our conversation today, uh, we've talked about a lot of different topics. Um, I hope that you were able to extract some knowledge. Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was um, talking about some people that I look up to, like Stephen Wonder, Boyd Thompson, and the fact that Sandy had fought uh, on the undercard of a fight that he, or a card that he had headlined. Um, you know, Wonder Boy is somebody that, um, as far as a martial artist, as far as a person, he's the nicest person around. So I really look up to that guy. And then also hearing that he's had some experience training with Tyson Fury, being helping him with the Steve Cunningham fight. Uh, that's amazing as well. So, yeah, guys, um, as always, take care. Whatever time you're listening to this, hope you stay safe and have a good one. <laughs>